So 1 John is at the end of the Bible. You hit Revelation, you go left a couple of pages. And then you find 1 John. Um, what else did I say? How's school going? Some of you. Hey, Brandon, don't mention school. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Alright, you guys ready? Let's do this. First John chapter 2. And we're going to read verse 3 through 11. So I'm going to read, then we're going to pray, and then we're going to have the Lord instruct us. Chapter 2, verse 3. And by this we know that we have become, or that we have come to know Jesus, if we keep His commandments. Whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have heard from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in Him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But, Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And Lord, I pray that you would cause a fire to burn in hearts tonight. Not necessarily, Father, a massive bonfire to burn out, but Lord, we want that nice kindled flame to constantly burn through their whole lives. God, that, that that flame would be assurance to them that eternal life indeed dwells inside of them. And Father, if there's any unbelief in this room, shatter that with your light tonight. Come and dismantle every excuse and every doubt until we have a church of confident believers full of faith and walking always trusting your every single word. In your son's name we pray. Amen. So, we're in 1 John. It's a detour from Genesis, because we need a break from Genesis. It's been a while that we've been in it. And 1 John is a book about being assured of the things that you believe. That they're true. And that the eternal life that God's promised to believers actually abides in you. John's goal here in writing is that you know 
with confidence and assurance that you are indeed a child of God and that you have eternal life guaranteed to you. That's John's goal. Therefore, to be faithful to the Bible, that's our goal. I want you guys to be assured as we go through 1 John. Because the most dangerous thing that you can ever do is not play football in a freeway. That's dangerous. It's not to drink poison to see who can last the longest before they die. That too is dangerous. It's not even to jump out of an airplane and go skydiving. That is somewhat dangerous too. The most dangerous thing that you can do tonight is to walk away and to continue in life assuming that you are a believer. The most dangerous thing you can do is assume that you are a child of God. And that's not okay with me. We're not going to walk out here assuming all these good thoughts, positive, happy reflections. I want you guys walking out assured. We don't want assumptions. We want assurance. Because when I jump out of an airplane, those skydiving statistically is safe. It's not safe when I grab any bag, put it on my back, and jump out assuming that it is a bag packed with a parachute. That's assumption, and that's dangerous. We want assurance. I want you guys jumping out of life knowing 100% beyond any doubt that you're hitting the ground safely. So that is what John is after. And that is what we want to receive. We don't want the dangerous assumption that, of course I'm going to heaven. I know who Jesus is. I know the gospel. I can give you the Romans road. That's a big assumption that that saves you. So let's go for assurance as John wants. So it's been 60 years at this point that he pens this page. Jesus has been gone from the earth for 60 years. Every single one of the 12 apostles has died except for John. He's the last person to walk with Jesus alive on the earth. Because of this distance of time, in the church, you have pretenders coming around. People who are starting to make up things about theology and they're starting to teach in the church, and they're starting to get following, and other Christians are starting to hear these pretend theologies and made-up assumptions, and they're starting to hear what they're saying, and remember what John taught them, and they're confused. And they don't even know anymore whether or not they have eternal life, because they don't even know what to believe at this point. So John corrects this misunderstanding in the church. He's not trying to prove a point or come against an argument, He's simply trying to affirm. It's like a test. First John could be viewed as a test. A test to see if you qualify as a believer. Qualify as a believer? I thought we're saved by grace through faith. That doesn't sound like there's conditions attached to my salvation. You're right. John wants to show us the conditions of assurance. Oh, conditions of assurance, not conditions for salvation. Salvation has no conditions. You're saved by grace. It's a free gift, a supernatural power of God to remove sin and to give you His Son's righteousness. You're saved by grace through your believing. Faith, meaning no works whatsoever. So your salvation is free, unconditional gift from God. 
but your assurance and confidence in that free salvation comes with many conditions. In other words, if you live a certain way, namely described through 1 John, then you will know that you have salvation. So if you're not living according to the message of 1 John, you have absolutely no assurance of your salvation. So assurance is conditional, salvation is unconditional. We got that clear, right? I want nobody walking out of here saying, Brandon said, if I disobey 1 John, I'm going to hell. didn't say that. But your assurance is conditional. If you keep on sinning, I can't assure you that you know Jesus. That's what John has to say. So what are these conditions? John essentially has three conditions that if you meet these conditions, you have assurance and you're going to be happy because assured people are happy people. Freaky happy. Quote Sam again. We're just going to keep a tally how many times we can quote Sam. These are the three conditions. The first comes in the first half of the book. It's love for Jesus. If you love Jesus, then you have assurance of eternal life. Second condition, love for Christians. This starts in 3 verse 11 and goes through the end of chapter 4. So if you love Christians, then you have assurance of eternal life. The third condition is in chapter 5. And that is a love for eternal life. You have a love for eternal things and your future presence of Jesus. So, love for eternal life. Now, because we're not, we're in the first half of the book, our main concern for for the week we've been in is love for Jesus. The condition is, if I love Jesus, then I know that I have eternal life. I know I'm saved. I have assurance if I love Jesus. But, what does that mean to love Jesus? Does it mean every time I hear His voice, I get bubbly feelings? Does it mean that when people speak poorly of Him, I stand up for Him? Does it mean that I accept Him. I believe He's the Son of God. I believe He died for my sins. What does it exactly mean to love Jesus? Does it mean you go out on a date with Him? What it means to love Jesus is what we're defining in these weeks. So our first definition was last time we're in First John, just two weeks ago, because we were downstairs last week. Remember what John said in verse 1-5 through 2 verse 2? Um, some of the subtitles in your Bible gives you the answer. He told us to walk in the light. So loving Jesus, according to John, means you're walking in the light. Walking in the light means, as light implies, you're in open honesty with Jesus. Light exposes all. You can't hide things in the light. If it's hidden, it's in the darkness. It's, it's being shielded from the light. So, to be in the light, to be open and exposed before Jesus, just completely in this place of, if I sin, I'm a confessor. I'm open with my Father. There's just this light relationship. Not, not like light and weight, but bright relationship. Everything's exposed before Him. I hide nothing. So, then on the contrary, to walk in the darkness is to walk in the lie and deceit of Satan, of sin. So that if I sin, I cover it from God and I keep on going with life, 
thinking of having a happy relationship with him. It's not the case. So, you, you move from the path of light into the darkness through sin. That takes you to the darkness. You move back to the light through confession. That's an open, honest act with your Father, and that's what restores you to light. So, love Jesus by walking in the light. We confess sins wholeheartedly, un- well, very shamefully, but we let it out like vomit, because we know that He's the doctor that fixes us, and we're not going to hide it from Him. So you know you love Jesus if when you sin, you hate the sin that you committed, and you want to confess it and say, Restore me, O Lord. Tonight is our second definition for love for Jesus. And that is namely in verse 3. 2 verse 3. By this we know, you can answer assurance. By this we have assurance that we come to know, that we have come to know Him if, here's a condition, if we keep His commandments. So we have assurance if we keep the commandments of Jesus. That's our second definition for loving Jesus. Keeping His commandments. So, what does it mean to keep the commandments of Jesus? By this we know that we have come to know Him, if we keep His commandments. So in other words, if I keep the commandments of Jesus, I know that I know Him. I want you guys to imagine all of us on a soccer field. We're playing, we're dividing you guys in half. So you guys are going to win because you have Sam. And because I'm going to be on this team. So we divide you guys in half. We have a soccer match. And all of a sudden, Tim grabs the soccer ball with his hands, starts running with it, starts pushing people away and plowing through them, comes up to the goalie where Steven's terrified, and he fires the ball past Steven into the goal and begins celebrating, throwing his shirt off, saying, We win! We win! Now, I would conclude, as well as you, that Tim does not know how to play soccer. Tim, you can't touch the ball with your hands. That's against the rules. But that's obviously because he does not follow the commands of soccer, we conclude he does not know soccer. If you know soccer, you know the commandments of the game and you keep them. It's the same thing with Jesus. If you know Jesus, you're going to keep His commandments. So I can, I can look out, essentially, and just come to conclusions. This person is in perpetual, consistent sin. He doesn't want to walk in the light by, confe- by confessing it, but he's happy in the darkness. I can safely, without judging, come to the conclusion, he does not know Jesus. Because he does not keep the commandments of Jesus. So... Knowing Jesus is not merely an intellectual knowledge of Him. It's a love for Him. So, to know Jesus is to love Jesus. Thus, from verse 23, that's where we get our thesis for our message, that we have assurance of eternal life if we love Jesus by keeping His commandments. That's in verse 3. Now, what does keeping His commandments look like? There's going to be two points on this. The first is a general observation. The second is a specific observation. It'll make sense when I explain it to you. So look at verse 4 through 6. It's going to say this. Keeping God's commandments proves that we love Jesus. It's just a repetition of verse 3. Keeping God's commandments proves we love Jesus. Verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but 
does not keep his commandments, like Tim on a soccer field, <laughs> is a liar. Obviously, we conclude that. And the truth is not in him. But, whoever keeps his word, which is the same thing as his commandments, his word and his commandments are the same thing. In that person who keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected, or completed. By this we may know that we are in Jesus. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. In other words, he ought to keep his word and his commandments. So, keeping God's commandments proves that we love Jesus. This is confirmed by Jesus himself. If you're quick, flip over to John 14, to your left. By the way, the Apostle John wrote the Gospel of John and 1 John. So, this is what you would call, I don't know what you would actually call it, but we're coming to, um, we're interpreting John's words through John's words. So it's safe, in other words. Right? We're not using Paul to interpret John. We're using John to interpret John. So it's John 14, verse 15. If, condition, if you love me, Jesus speaking, you will keep my commandments. Now, go to 15, 15.10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. You see the argument there? If you love me, what will result? You'll keep my commandments. Then, second argument, if you keep my commandments, you love me. So, as it says in 1 John 2, verse 5, whoever keeps his word, truly in him the love of God is perfected. I love him, I keep his commandments. I keep his commandments, I love him. There's the perfection, the completion of the love of God. My obedience to Jesus completes my love for him. So there's the affections and the feelings. That's one part of love, right? That's, that's what we desire, Jesus. That's half love. Completing our love, or perfecting in John's word, completing our love is to then obey him. So we complete it. As John said, love's commandments are in the middle. Love him. Keep his commandments. Keep his commandments. You love him. So it's a whole rounded package. Now the specific command. Okay, So we know that keeping God's commandments proves that we love Jesus. How? What commandments are we talking about? Because there's a lot of them. Does that mean every day I have to wake up and make sure, okay, don't say this, say that, don't think those things. When you see that, turn away because that's wickedness. When I am with that person, I'm really going to be in a lot of prayer because of the way that they are. John's going to give us, he's going to make this really easy for us. Generally, you keep his commands, you love him. Specifically, what is it? It's this. Keeping God's commands means loving each other. That's it. Keeping his commands means loving each other. In Romans 13 verse 9, Paul says that, he lists a couple of the Ten Commandments, and he says, look, love each other and you'll keep all of those. For example, I'm not going to murder you if I love you. I'm not going to hate you or gossip against you if I love you. I'm not going to steal from you if I love you. I stole from a kid once. When I was in I was kindergarten or first grade, um, he, had, he had play money. It was like a million dollar bill. Coolest thing in the world to me. 
So I took it. It was nap time. It must have been kindergarten because it was nap time. And while everyone's out on their mats, I get up and go into his bag. I take it. I put it in my pocket. And I go back to sleep. I didn't love that kid. I really didn't. My heart envied him because he had the million dollar bill that everybody was surrounding him to look at. And I said, I want that. So I took it. Person stealing candy from a baby. So, generally, keep his commandments, you have assurance. But what commandments are we mainly concerned about? Loving each other. So this is verse 7 through 8. And watch this apparent contradiction. If, you're, if, you're, uh, if you think when you read, you're going to see it. Beloved, I am writing to you, verse 7, no new commandments. In other words, it's an old commandment. But an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is that word that you have heard. That's why it's old. You've already heard it. But ch- catch verse 8. At the same time, it is a new commandment. What? That I'm writing to you. Which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. John, what do you mean? I'm writing to you an old commandment. Ah, right, never mind. It's a new commandment. Well, what is it? I think it's very clear if you interpret John through John. Wow, that's distracting. <laughs> Do you guys remember when Jesus was asked, Teacher, what is the greatest commandment? Well, he said, it's the great Shema, of course, the one that you use your sight every day. So love, Lord, your God, with all your heart, soul, mind. Am I going to separate you guys? Are we going to have to go junior high style here? They're seniors, too. It's embarrassing. Okay. Um, love God. That's what, that was what Jesus said. And, he, and then he said, the second is just like it. Love people. Love them like yourself. More than yourself. By that, he said, on these two commandments, hang the law and the prophets. Everything is fulfilled if you keep those two. Loving God, loving people. So, John says it's an old commandment. Why? They've heard it. Jesus said, love each other. And when he said that, he was quoting Leviticus 19, verse 18. Leviticus is an old book. And the Jews had it memorized. So, there was not a new commandment when Jesus said that. He basically, and let me read Leviticus 19.18. It says that you shall take, uh, nope, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Just exactly what Jesus said. So, that's an old commandment. But at the same time, John says it's a new commandment. Why? Flip back to John, chapter 13. It's to your left. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John 13, verse 34. Jesus says this. A new commandment. Oh, maybe this is what John's alluding to. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Wait a minute. Jesus says, the new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. That's an old commandment. That's from Leviticus. Love your neighbor as yourself. So then how come Jesus says, it's a new commandment that I give you? I suggest it's in that phrase, as I have loved you. That's what makes this commandment new. Jesus is taking an old commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, and inserting himself as the example of how to do that 
thus making it a new commandment. So when John writes here in 1 John 2, verse 8, he's saying it's an old commandment I write to you, but it's at the same time a new commandment. In other words, it's Leviticus 19.18, but Jesus reinterpreted it because he's our example of how to love each other. So what John is saying, it takes a long time to explain, but all he's saying is the specific command is to love each other. By loving each other, we keep his commands, and by keeping his commands, we prove that we love Jesus. By proving we love Jesus, we prove we have eternal life. That's the long chain of the argument. We have assurance of eternal life because we love Jesus by keeping his command to love each other. That is John's main thrust here. So now I want you to ask, why? Why is loving each other such an important command? Why is John thrusting this out at us? I think there's at least four reasons from our text. The first is in verse 3 and 5. It's because loving each other proves my love for Jesus. John said, if you love Jesus, you're going to keep his commandments. So, by loving each other, we're proving that we are lovers of Jesus. Because really, all we are are extensions of Jesus, right? We're part of his body. He lives inside of the Christian. So by loving each other, we prove that we love Jesus. Secondly, because loving each other, it obeys the commands of Jesus. Verse 8. That's the new commandment he's talking about. At the same time, it's a new commandment. So, it's obeying the commandments of Jesus. Third reason is in verse 9. Therefore, loving each other brings me into the light. It says, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Remember, you can't be saved and be walking in the darkness. So, my love for you guys proves that I'm in the light. And when I start hating my brother, I go into the darkness. That's sin. <laughs> and repentance will bring me back to the light. And then fourth reason why we love each other is that in verse 11, my love for Christians, um, it assures my destination. Because in verse 11, John says that whoever hates his brother does not walk in the darkness. And he does not see this. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. That's scary. Not to know where you're going. That's a man, I love Jesus, but he's hating his brother. He's assuming that he has eternal life. He's jumping out of an airplane with his school backpack on his back, thinking there's a parachute in it. <laughs> That's why this is important to love each other. We're dealing with salvation. We're dealing with eternal matters here. So, the most important thing I can leave you guys with tonight is how in the world... Youth Call knows that I've been doing that every day lately. At least once. I don't know why. What we want to know is how in the world do we love each other? How do we put this into practicality? Because it's not natural to want to go out of our way to show love for people, especially when pride's on the line. Especially when my feelings are hurt. Especially when they're the least, the last, or the lowest. Because they stink or something. Or they don't like baseball. I can't imagine who wouldn't. I have a hard time. No, okay. So, we want to deal with how. There's three points from our text. Okay, the first, how.
how shall we then love each other? First, empower your love for others by perfecting God's love in you. Empower your love for people by perfecting God's love in you. When God's love fills absolutely your heart and start, it starts going out, it becomes the power, the, the thrust behind your love. How in the world can you get a car from the bottom of the hill up to Twin Peaks without gas? There's not much power in our little... I don't care how strong you are, Kyler. I don't care how strong I am. Look at me. <laughs> we can't push that thing up here. It needs some sort of supernatural, in other words, apart from us power to get it going. And, and our love for people must be thrusted and pushed by God's love being perfected in us. And it's perfected, as we said, by obeying His commands. So as we draw near to God in intimacy by keeping His commands and just being with Him, walking like we're confessing daily when we don't keep His commands, His love is perfected and that love when it comes to its full fruition starts flowing out of the heart and pushing us to bring that love to other people. So that's why I say that we need to empower our love for others by perfecting God's love in us. That obviously comes from verse 5. That's where I get that from. Um, it says, But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. Now, if you look at verse 9, we need this power because naturally we can't love each other. Uh, well, we can, but it's not natural for us to want to. Look at verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is what? is still in darkness. That's an important phrase, still in darkness. Meaning that if I can't love people, I never came out of the darkness. So people who are in darkness have a hard time loving. They can love people, don't get me wrong. It's possible to love people as a non-believer. But it's impossible to love those people who don't deserve to be loved. That is very hard for an unbeliever. And when they can't do that, it shows that they are still in darkness. So this is why we need our love to be empowered by perfecting God's love in us. Because it has to be something outside of us. There has to be something coming through us, greater than us. Because we would otherwise still be in darkness. So, second way we can love each other. Imitate the same selfless, sacrificial servanthood of Jesus. Imitate the same selfless, sacrificial servanthood of Jesus. That's in verse 6. <laughs> Whoever says he abides in Jesus ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. How did Jesus walk? How are we to imitate that? Well, you guys already know where John 13 is, so go there one more time. Last time we're going to turn in the Bible. Go to John 13. Remember, we're looking at how we imitate the same selfless, sacrificial servanthood of Jesus. Now, the reason we're going to John 13 is because this is where, let me recall your attention to verse 34, this is where Jesus gave the new commandment that we love one another, and he inserted the phrase, which makes the new commandment, he inserted the phrase, as I have loved you. What's the natural question now? How did Jesus love us? Because that's what we're looking to imitate. Love as I have loved you. How did you love us? Do you know what Jesus was doing right when he said this? 
Look at verse 1 of chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, that was a feast they celebrated every year, so they're having a big dinner party, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father. He knows, in other words, he's about to die on the cross. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So, in verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things in his hands and that he was he come from God and was going back to God, verse 4 is the key one, he rose from supper and he laid aside his outer garments and taking on a towel, he's dressing himself like a servant. Taking on a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Go to verse 15. Why did he do this? So he's being a servant, washing the feet of the disciples. Gross. Verse 15 gives him the reason for this. He says, I have given you an example by washing your feet. I've given you an example that you should also do just as I have done to you. Then he said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So this is sacrificial servanthood. And this is what we're to imitate. John said there in verse 6, First uh, John 2 verse 6, Walk in the same way in which he walked. How do you walk? He walked as a servant, washing the feet of his disciples. And he said, As I have done, so must you do. So, we can love each other by imitating the same selfless, sacrificial servanthood of Jesus. That's a low job. Washing feet. This means loving people when they definitely don't deserve our love. Why don't you think about this for a second? If somebody deserved my love, would I actually be a servant in loving them? If they deserved it, no. I'm giving them their just due. But if someone does not deserve my love, and I go out of the way to love them, I am therefore showing the same selfless, sacrificial servanthood that Jesus showed to his disciples. Just break down the English here. Deserve. The, the, what do you call it, prefix? The, the D-E before it? Yeah, the prefix. D-E. What does that mean? It means to reverse, to remove. What does serve mean? Serve. So, if you're deserving, it means deserve. It means remove your service. If I love you because you're deserving, I'm removing the service in my action. But if you're not deserving, I am becoming the servant like Jesus and washing your feet by giving you love for you. Wow. This, we're calling ourselves to a much higher calling than just good feelings for each other. Positive attitudes about each other. We're talking about going to the deserving, less undeserving people and showing love. What is love? It, it's pursuing the utmost good in someone else. Someone that doesn't deserve it. Pursuing their utmost good. This is the same sacrificial servanthood that we're to imitate that Jesus did. This is how we love each other. So, in review, how we love each other? Be empowered to love each other by perfecting God's love in you. Secondly, imitate the same sacrificial, selfless servanthood of Jesus. And third, finally, love each other by living in the light of open and honest truth with each other. Living in the light of 
open, honest truth with each other. This obviously is drawing back from our last study, but it's also coming right here in verse 9 and 10. Live in the light of open, honest truth with each other. Verse 9. Whoever says he is in the light, which means you're open and honest and true, but hates his brother, which means you're not being open, honest and true, is still in darkness. Verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So, the opposite of light is darkness, which means walking with deceit with one another. If we're walking in the light with each other, we're open and honest with each other. If I have a problem, we're going to work it out in a civilized manner. But if I'm walking in darkness and I have a problem with you, I'm going to go over to Joe and start telling him about my problem with you and what a sucker you are. That's gossip. That's not walking in the light. So we love each other by walking in the light of open and honest truth with each other. As Ephesians says, to speak the truth to each other in love. Proverbs 26, 24. I'm going to read this to you. You don't have to go there unless you know what Proverbs is. I would mark it. But Proverbs 26, 24 says this. Whoever hates, and we're walking in darkness, whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. Did you catch that? Whoever hates does what? He disguises himself, which means you're in darkness because you're hiding yourself. And he harbors deceit in his heart. You know what I mean? To harbor it is to hide it in your heart. This is darkness. This is not open and honest truth. That's the person that hates people. And as a result, Proverbs 26, the context talks about drama. Grabbing a dog by its ears, so is the man that jumps in the middle of people's arguments. Drama is an expression of not loving people. Gossip is an expression of not loving people. Joking. I don't mean in good humor. I mean in the cover-up sense. Say something. Come on, we're joking. Play along. That's covering up the, the hatred, the darkness you have for people. Proverbs goes on with the list. It talks also flattery. Speaking well of somebody when really you don't think any of that. You're, you're only covering up the hatred you have. The Bible's severe in its definition of hatred. If we're not sacrificially loving each other like Jesus, we're actually not loving at all. So we need to be in the light of open and honest truth with each other. By the way, remember how we quoted the new commandments based on the old commandment, Leviticus 19.18, which says, love your neighbor as yourself? Do you want to know what that whole verse says? Totally confirms what we're talking about right here in point three. It says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but on the other hand, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see it? You shall not bear a grudge or hold vengeance against your neighbor, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, if I'm holding a grudge against somebody, I am not loving my neighbor as myself. This is the open honesty and truth that we're talking about, that walking the light with each other means. So, what if we do have a problem with each other? What do we do? Got to be open and honest and speak the truth in love. Someone offends you? Don't offend them back. Don't get even by telling other people what's wrong with them. You take them personally in love, which means you're humiliating yourself like Jesus, like a servant. You're doing the hard thing in love and saying, hey, I want you to know that that kind of hurt me. 
I just want to know, like, what's the reason? Did you mean what you said? Because maybe you didn't. I really hope you didn't mean that. Sometimes we just misinterpret people. And that's why it's so important that we take, we walk in that light with each other. So as Jesus said, Matthew 18, 15, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Don't go and tell him his fault through everybody else so that he hears about it. Take it to him alone and love each other. Just get it worked out. This is how we have assurance that we have eternal life. That we love Jesus by keeping his command to love each other. So Father, that's our desire. That we indeed would be a group and a church and your body full of love. When you told your disciples to love each other as you've loved them, Jesus, you said that by that the world will know that we are your disciples. And let it be known, Father. Let there be no disguise, no mystery. Let us have confirmation and assurance. We pray for it. We desire it. And you want us to have it. So, Jesus, help us to keep your commandments. Perfect your love in us that we can do it. In your Son's name we pray. Amen.